who do they pick on? Who do bullies pick on? They pick on somebody who is not going to stand up for themselves, right? Or can't stand up for themselves. I'm Omar Salafu, and you're listening to Is This For Real? Breaking the Blue Wall, a podcast project about anti-black racism and policing in Edmonton. The voice you heard at the beginning of the show is Tom Engel. He was featured and introduced in episode one, Niala. If you haven't heard episode one yet, I highly recommend you listen to it before today's story. Today, we'll hear from Tom again, but before we do, we'll hear the story of Jean-Claude Rucundo and Sifa Ngeze. In July 2018, Jean-Claude was arrested in Edmonton while helping his wife after a car accident. During the arrest, a police officer had Jean-Claude on his stomach with his knee on his neck. This all happened two years before George Floyd was murdered by police in Minnesota, but holds a scary resemblance to that situation. When he was arrested, Jean-Claude told his friend to start filming the incident, and here's what he recorded. Two officers in the video turned Jean-Claude onto his stomach while trying to handcuff him and swearing at him to turn around. You hurting me? I don't do nothing. I didn't do nothing, sir. Stop putting pressure on me, my back. While Jean-Claude was on his stomach, an officer immediately places his knee onto Jean-Claude's neck. I have a bad back. You take off my pressure. My watch is hurting. The next part of the video is Jean-Claude pleading with the officers that he's innocent, while Sifa watches the scene and cries while her husband is arrested. The video ends with that scene. My wife! I'm not trying to fight you. Yeah, you are. I'm not trying to fight you. I'm not trying to fight you. Okay? I'm not trying to fight you, Listen to me. Put your phone. Do you find it? Place okay? Yeah, no, definitely. Come on in. Hey. Hi. To hear their story, I visited Sifan Jean-Claude at their lawyer's office. So, um, Nicholas is here to grab a few photos if that's okay. Yeah, sure. My first name is Sifa, last name is Ngeze. And me, my first name is Jean-Claude, last name is Rocondo. So what happened that day, we were, I was driving off from home, going to Superstore in Kingsway. And then because there's a car accident in front of us, so we had to uh, like exit the 121 street. I went there and then I really, really ended somebody. I hit somebody at their back and then... I was in a panic. It was my first car accident. I don't know much about car. I don't know much about insurance. He deals with everything. All I do is get in my car and drive. So when I hit that person, I came out of the... I was still in the car. My car is still on. The guy that I hit uh, came out, and then he asked me if I was okay. I'm like, I don't know. He asked me to turn off the car. I was even so scared to turn it off because I imagine if I turn it off, the engine is just going to blow. He had to come and help me turn off the car. So I got off the car. And then I called 911. Right when I got off the phone, I called my husband. He had just came from work. I told him I got into a car accident. I couldn't even speak properly. I was just crying. Then he, he told me he was going to be there right away. 
two police officers came, two cars, and then an ambulance was there already. So when they got there, my husband was like he, they pretty much almost got there at the same time, maybe a few minutes after they were there, he got there. Once he came, the police officer asked for my driver's license, my insurance. I was just sitting on the sidewalk crying. I was still shocked. And then he's the one that was dealing with all that. He was on the phone with the TD. So once he got off to make a claim, once he got off, the police officer asked him if TD covered the towing. So he had to call them again to ask if that's covered. While he was on the phone with uh, TD Insurance, another cop came, two cops. So as they walked to the people that are here, asked them if they were okay, then walked straight to my husband and asked him, were you involved in the car accident? He said, no, but my wife is, and this is my property. The guy who did was so mean, he was just so rude. He's like, okay, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave the scene. While he's talking to him, he was still on the phone because they had put him on hold for some reason. And then um, he asked my husband, he's like, I need you to leave if you were not involved in a car accident. My husband was like, I can't, my wife is hurt, this is my car. You know, she has nobody else. And then uh, he got so rude, he's like, what did he say again? If you don't, if you don't move from here, I'm gonna put on the rest of, uh, you know, then I'm like, yes, sir, I'm just, you know, like I'm helping, you know, I'm here. Like I was just standing there, you can even see on the pictures and all that. So while those two cops work, you know, me, I thought, you know, they already have a communication, they know what's going on and all that. And for me, it was kind of weird a little bit because there was already two, uh, two officers at the scene dealing with the, her case, uh, which was fine. Then we are at the point dealing with the towing. So that's what we saw those two uh, officers, you know, driving by, lights on, uh, get up the door, smash the door and walk through uh, the other, you know, people that they were involved. Uh, you know, as I was on the phone, I turned my head and the officer was just standing right there. And he said, so are you involved? And I'm like, he said, no, you can tell in his face, the guy is mad. mad he just, he wanted the like, answers. He's like, so are you involved? Like, you know, I'm still on the phone. Not even have time to respond and all. I'm saying no, sir. So putting the phone back away and trying just to answer him, right, for respect and all that. No, sir, I'm not involved. My wife, she is, and this is my property, which is damaged, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, the insurance, I mean, the towing, which has been asked by two officers. They are still standing at the front of the vehicle. So those two officers, they came and tried to make just a mess. And so he asked me that, and uh, I couldn't even respond. And he, he, uh, if I remember, he talked on it twice. While I was backing up and going say, if you don't move, I'm going to put on the rest and all that. So what I have my hands like that, he twists my hands, he put the hands on the back. I'm trying to get an answer still. Then I, I try to understand and trying to get, you know, why you are arresting me? You don't even know who I am. And I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help like a cops to get all the sub guns so we can move on. And uh, trying to understand that and... Uh, having my hands like that then i'm fighting back i'm like hey, sir you know give me an answer why you are arresting me and stuff like that. my wife crying like that she was already crying it come and put more trauma where it was not needed then i'm like hey, so he dragged me from there all the way to the sidewalk trying to put my hands on things and i'm like hey, sir you're under arrest so he has my two hands like that and say you're under arrest you're under arrest 
I go like I was on the ground like for a good uh, seven, seven, eight minutes before they go me out and all that. They wait for another car to come. So when the car arrived there, you know, you know, the two officers helped me up to go up. My handcuff tight, tight. I could even. I was crying. I say, my hands are hurting. My back is hurting. My neck, everything. They couldn't, you know, just the, having the handcuff like on my back. I had a bruise. I had to the hospital. I had to wear a cask for like a couple of weeks because yeah, I was I didn't have any blood secretion going to my, you know, all that I request to them, you know, sir, can you at least release the remote, the, uh, you know, care. the All they cared about was just to get their name, yeah, to get so, his name. That's all they cared about. Not even have to like release it a little bit. Even the officer, when he walked in there, he wasn't even nice at all. He was just rude, using F words all the time, telling him shut up. And then, like, you could hear once they put him in the car, that officer slammed the door, and then he said, fucking oh, idiot. Yeah, and then you hear police, like, laughing. laughing. So for them, is uh, for for you know, a normal routine. You know, yeah. they go and uh, kind of, you know, aggressive, resent. And, you know, for them, it's funny because, you know, they know how they are. They, you know, they just mess up somebody's day. For them, they'll go and sleep. And you, you're still thinking about that in your head. You know, like you're seeing, putting like, that I picture. have kids at home, you know, they're waiting for me. He left home See. telling them I'm coming yeah. back. And then I was like, well, you won't be going home you tonight. You'll be going to jail. Very proudly saying it that. What were your perceptions of police um, throughout your time in Alberta and Edmonton. Um, what did you think of police? Have you had any other interactions with them before? What role did they play in your life? Before the accident happened, I've never had any problem with police because back home we have terrible police. Um, and then coming here, saying police were people that they were supposed to serve and protect us. That's how I've seen them through my whole life being here until that accident. It changed, like the way I see them is not the same way I could like imagine. When we go immigrate to Quebec, uh, so I was still young, I believe 13 years old. So all my experience was pretty much here in Canada. And uh, I have, like I remember when I was back in Quebec, after school going going do my, uh, my homework at the library to uh, a police officer was just standing at the library and told me, uh, uh, "F, uh, go back in your country like a nigger name and say go back in country." So for me, I was, I was like a fear and I didn't respond to anything. I just keep walking, and I knew that they were looking for something, and uh, you know, but I just keep walking. And then after that, we saw like a uh, being seeing like a people getting arrested and you know like a become brutality police and all that for me i've been you know it's been going around and see friends getting arrested for no reason they don't have the right to talk and you know just trying to you know to get answer why am i getting arrested so you know he looks like a, there's no voice when you come to you know, while you know, you're trying to talk to the police and trying to tell them your cause exactly, they don't want to listen. You know, they want to show you that uh, you're just nothing. You're just nothing. And so this is kind of experience that I've been experiencing like, like a, pretty much all my life. So for me, police are just trying to keep my distance because I know like a, it could be just like this and they will ruin my life for no reason. What happened to me is stuff that I used to see on the TV and uh, like uh, 
and even today like uh, when I look at my family and I look I'm just like a, a lucky person that I'm still here because it depends uh, like if my health issues was uh, really bad or something like that I won't be here today like uh, talking or because uh, I go home and think about it like uh, you know all the guys that they mentioned that I can't breathe they can't they're not here with us today so it was just a lucky day for myself and yeah. When he was arrested, Jean-Claude was especially confused by how aggressive the officers who arrested him were, because the initial two interactions he had with the police at the scene didn't bring up any problems at all. So you saying that you charged me for all this, I'm like, so why I didn't have any problem with those two officers that were already there on the scene? Why they did everything peacefully? And why you came to me asking me leaving the scene while there was many people standing there? Like, and those answers I didn't, you know, uh, until today. Like, why, why me? Like, she's the one, like, crying. She was crying there. And she's the one who needed, like, an ambulance, like, stuff like that. But she, you know, they left her on the scene. So they came, grabbed me, they left her on the scene. They put me in jail. I didn't even last 10, 15 minutes. Then I saw the supervisor walking by him, like, okay, you're free to go. I didn't want to sign anything. Then like, okay, if you don't sign this, we're going to keep you here. Then I'm like, hey, usually, you know, with the, you know, they put you there, they want to use stuff and all that, but, you know, they knew it, you know, like there was no reason. So they had to go there and trying to build evidence, like whatever they told me on the scene that I was a drunk, that I was a resisting, I push him, all that. When I look at my charges and all that, like he looks, he charged me to one charge twice and stuff like that. And I'm like, so all, all the charges that you are saying that, you know, I was doing on the scene, like why they are not on paper? The guy didn't have enough proof. He didn't have anything like against me. So they went there and then trying to build something, you know, cops, you know, took me with everybody live. So was still her on the scene. And she was the one who, you know, called the cops for, you know, for the first time, you know, for help. So they came, they, they put me a handcuff on me, asked myself, my friend to leave, threatening him, if he stay here, they're going to arrest him too. And her, she go left on the scene. And they say the guy who came is like, here, yeah, make a statement. He just came, he's like, make a statement. I'm like, right now I can't, I'm in a shock. And I, the way I told him I was crying, I was still crying. He's like, fine, if you don't make a statement, I'm going to give you a ticket. And he did give that ticket. He did a careless driving. She got a careless driving uh, with that and uh, shaking because she could, uh, you know, that's the attitude that cops had uh, from the beginning. She's, you know, the, you know, traumatized about all this. And she said, I cannot write a statement. You know, the cops not even like going to say and trying to be human because he, after that she find out that she has a 24 hours to fill that statement. But I don't know why he was forcing that and uh, making her like, a, you know, she's already traumatizing on something, but that cops, he didn't care. A statement was made like a scared, you know, after all this happened, me on the ground, kneeling down and all that, then asking her to, to do a statement. Then I'm like shaking, crying, you can hear everywhere. Then I'm like, how you want somebody to focus and write a statement like that? Like, what, what kind of human being are you? Like, Jean-Claude was arrested and charged with obstructing a peace officer and resisting arrest. 
Sifa filed a complaint letter about how she and her husband were treated by the police that day. The police received her letter on August 1st, 2018. She got a response from the police 14 months later on November 7th, 2019. The complaint investigator interviewed Sifa, Jean-Claude's friend who drove him to the accident, two emergency medical services workers at the scene, and two officers who arrested Jean-Claude. The investigator did not interview Jean-Claude. This is because he refused to go on the record without talking to his lawyer first. Jean-Claude chose not to be interviewed because what he said in that interview wouldn't necessarily be a privileged statement. Anything that he said could have been used against him in court by the police for the two charges that he was still facing after his arrest. In her letter to the police, Sifa complained that the two officers used excessive force during the incident. The other driver in the incident told the police that one of the officers on the scene said it looked like Jean-Claude was drunk. One of the emergency medical services staff said the officer's behavior towards Sifa was abrasive, intimidating, and uncalled for. The other EMS worker told the police that she felt that the whole thing was handled too quickly and could have been handled differently. Now here's what the officers who arrested Jean-Claude said to the investigator. They said an officer approached Jean-Claude with a pen in hand and notebook open to ask for his name and where he was sitting in the car. What happened next is very different from what Sifa and Jean-Claude remember happening. The officer claims that when he asked Jean-Claude that question, he literally lost his mind and said, you can't fucking ask me that, you don't talk to me like that. He told the investigator that he's never seen anything like that in all his years of policing. One officer also claimed that he noticed Jean-Claude's breath smelled like alcohol and that he appeared intoxicated. The officer said he asked Jean-Claude five times to move away from the scene, but says Jean-Claude continued to yell at him. The officer allegedly tried again to lead him away, until Jean-Claude pushed him away and allegedly positioned himself in a fighting stance with his cell phone in one hand and the other in a clenched fist. The officer said he thought Jean-Claude was going to punch him. This was enough for the officers to arrest him for obstructing them. Both officers claimed that Jean-Claude chose to escalate the situation and they resolved it with the least amount of force they could have used. The only real outcome of the police investigation was an official warning issued to one of the officers for excessive swearing. Every other complaint was dismissed. Both of the charges against Jean-Claude were dropped by police in February 2019. To hear how Jean-Claude and Sifa's situation fits within the larger system of policing and the law, I explain the situation to Tom Engel. Tom is the chair of the Edmonton Criminal Trialers Association Policing Subcommittee. And he was kind of struggling, telling them, you know, I can't breathe, like I'm uncomfortable. That knee on the neck thing, I, I, I hear about that over the years so often. And knee on the head. Yeah. That, that is not a tactic that you will see in the use of force policies or training, but I hear about it all the time. When it comes to the police using force against citizens, not everything needs to be documented. But it usually is in most cases that go above handcuffing someone, and especially in a situation like Jean-Claude's arrest. When the police use force like that, they are required to create what's called a control tactic report. Tom explained to me what those documents entail in more detail. 
The control tactics report goes to the use of force supervisor in the EPS. And what happens after that, I have no idea. There's supposed to be an early warning system as well, where if they start, they're supposed to keep track, they say too many, an unusual number of control tactics report coming from a particular officer, they're supposed to start looking at that officer, seeing an intervention, right? What's going on here? You know, maybe need some retraining or something, right? And then any time that there's a Category 2 use of force, they have to get on the radio and declare Category 2 use of force, and a supervisor has to come to the scene and talk. And they're supposed to review the force, but the problem is they don't ever go talk to the subject of the force. Say, well, what happened, right? They just talk to the cops on the scene. Yeah, everything's good, right? Write up some little report. So there's a problem there in oversight. There's all, all of these oversight mechanisms which are a good idea, but they're not effective. Then what happens is the punishments for excessive use of force are completely inadequate. You know, you take the case of uh, Mike Wazilishan, the former chief's son. He, in a notorious case called Frying Pan, a 17-year-old indigenous kid, uh, who gets tasered and beat up by this guy. A provincial youth court judge finds cruel and unusual treatment. It goes to a disciplinary hearing. He's found guilty at a disciplinary hearing. He wasn't fired. He should have been fired. And then, only a few years later, he's on White Avenue off-duty with some other off-duty cops, drunk, sees a guy on crutches on the other side of the street, starts mocking the guy, calling him a cripple, goes over and attacks him beats him up. He gets found guilty criminally and acquires a criminal record. The judge wouldn't give him a discharge. And then he goes to a disciplinary hearing. He doesn't get fired. The lack of punishment doesn't only extend to internal police punishment decisions. The system of accountability in Alberta has set a precedent for rarely severely punishing guilty police officers. There are many examples of cases where, uh, in the EPS, where serious misconduct has been proven and the officer is not fired. And the way the law is, if you look at all the precedents, fact of the matter is that the law supports not firing. You know, the legal precedents in, in disciplinary cases, that, that's got to change. People have to get fired. and. And the other problem is it takes years to fire a cop. You see in the United States, in Minneapolis, what happened? You're fired. And in another place, the mayor did the firing. That cannot happen with the Police Act or the RCMP Act. You have to go through this long, drawn-out process where cops remain on active duty with pay or suspended with pay. It's like a vacation, paid vacation. And then eventually, maybe resign on the eve of, a, of the disciplinary hearing. That justice delayed is justice denied. The judicial system in Alberta also heavily favors the police in most cases. The lowest damages in the country for police abuse are in Alberta. They, uh, you know, I, I remember there's one particular case where uh, this native woman was down on the ground prone and a cop went up and booted her in the head. And the judge found the cop civilly liable 
and gave punitive damages of five grand. You know, how, how does that punish the police? How does that deter the police? And by the way, when you get damage award against the Edmonton Police Service, it's the city of Edmonton that pays. The officer doesn't pay. Nothing is done to that officer um, unless, unless you've made a police act complaint to hold that officer personally liable. Nothing will happen to that officer as a result of that civil judgment. And then you can't go to small claims court. The, uh, the government, uh, for some provincial government, for some strange reason, and we, we look back on Hansard on this to see why in small claims court, the provincial court, which has, has uh, damages up to 50,000, which is usually way more than you ever get uh, from, from going to Queen's Bench in a civil suit, why have they excluded from liability police officers? Why have they excluded that from provincial court jurisdiction? There was no reason given when that bill was passed. It was just like, here it is, this is what it is. Everybody in favor? Yeah, sure, no problem. And we've asked governments to change that. They won't, they, they just, like, nothing happens. And it's such an obvious, um, the obvious reason is to make it more difficult to hold police officers accountable, civilly, in damages. That's plain as day. There's no other reason. If I'm walking down White Avenue and I punch a cop and break his jaw, that cop can sue me in small claims court. If the cop is walking down White Avenue, sees me, and breaks my jaw, I can't go to small claims court. I have to go to Queen's Bench, which means you basically have to get a lawyer. So it's, it's a, an inequity that has to be addressed. Me being taken away, that's mean I'm losing my job. You know, I don't have the bread to bring on the table for my kids. So I'm putting my family in a situation, a hard situation that, you know, none of the kids wants to end up because, you know, I have five kids myself and I cannot allow myself like I do stupid kids and be away from my kids and all that. So in my, what was exactly my essence trying to get this, like I was trying to get justice, but for that time, like I was just trying to get, because clear my name because I know he charged me for this, he charged for that, and this is where I met my, the first lawyer that was helping me. He was in this office, like you could see I was shaking, crying, I didn't know what to do. Uh, the same video has been sent to another lawyer in Montreal, he looked at it and said, this is ridiculous. We found human rights, we found, you know, like all trying to, try to get the resource that we need because we don't know how to start filing a police, who stuff like so we, it's just a series end, but when uh, stuff like that happen, you know, you don't exactly know because you don't have the contact, you don't have, you know. So what you're trying is just to find, you know, to clear up your name. So you're trying to not go to jail. So somebody's looking at your case. And so they did file a complaint, the cops uh, to, to them. I want to file a complaint. We walked, uh, I think, uh, the next day to the police station in downtown, trying to get the information, but the help was not there. The help was not there, they tell call this person and all that, but you know, me and my belief for, you know, people that goes to that, I think uh, when you're walking to a police station, you know, like 
you want to feel like somebody is listening to you you know just somebody who's trying to do the job you know they say oh you call this number you call this number there's no call back after a couple of days you give up you know like you just say you know there's no you cannot win against cops say you know it's all this that's what we saw like how many give you know brutalized by cops and uh, really bad my 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 little brother 16 years old he came home one day we couldn't even recognize his face say what happened so i got beat up by cops i would say as a black man i'm kind of like a, you know keep the silence like a stuff like you know like and just keep that inside of us and killing myself and uh, see okay this is normal this is you normal, but it's not. It's not normal, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you end up, you know, it's affecting you. You know, for what what they they think that is normal, something, but for me, it's just go there and uh, anger, you know, because there's nobody to to talk to. When George Floyd was murdered, and the video of his killing was released, Sifa decided to share the video of Jean Claude's arrest on Facebook for the very first time. The video was widely shared and gained media attention in Edmonton. While she posted that video, I was just working, like I say, she has her own way to think. I was just working and trying to see a light at the end of this. And when I saw the George Floyd things, I think I was uh, I broke down because usually, like, I'm not like emotional wise. But when I saw that video and I say, people, did you saw that video? The first thing you say, I saw that video. The first thing that say, yes, you don't know the pen. That's what I said to her, like, you don't know the pen. I think I do understand exactly how we diet and all that. And uh, being the same position and it's not comfortable. So this is how uh, I just try to live day by day and, you know, trying keep peace the way uh, uh, like I regularly do every day like just they just I was just off like that day two, one hour and a half not even from work trying to help somebody but for them they see me being there I was uh, trading say they, that I pushed the officer did this you know all that kind of crap they can come and you know just ring your name put on your name then uh, you cause you you have to you know fight for your trying to fight for your right you know stuff like that but us is just having is it looks like having the name clear was okay for me but you know i didn't have the peace inside of my but i knew i had the freedom to be out and be uh, with my kids what do you want to see happen with the edmonton police what are your dreams when it comes to making sure that this never happens again to anyone else, but also that you get justice for what was done to you. Well, I hope um, I hope I will never have to experience that again. With I have two sons, with my sons, with my husband as well. Even everybody, every black person out there, because I'm not gonna say it's just black. I mean, there's also like different people from here there that like that being mistreated as well. But I hope the police, like, when we call 911, we expect for them to come help us, not to make uh, more trouble for us, because it's already too much. Jean-Claude told me that he hopes the police will get more training and consider using body cameras. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Is This For Real? I want to thank Jean-Claude and Sifa for sharing their stories with me. Thank you to everyone who supported the show on Patreon or otherwise. We really wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at O-U-M-A-R at isthisforreal.ca. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in August. More people that they they there to serve the public, you know, to work with the public, not just to criminalize like a, a young black people, native who stuff like that, because we're the same. We're all the same people, like, a, yeah.